A very good evening and a warm welcome to this service from Beckles Baptist Church. It's great to have you join us here on our YouTube channel as we continue to meet virtually for the remainder of our Sunday evening services in September. My name is Tom Fenning. I am the pastor of this church. I'm going to be leading and a little bit later preaching as we continue in our series in 1 Samuel. As we encourage people each week, do please make time to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you'll be able to keep, be kept up to date with all the services and resources that we put out um, online. It's our hope and prayer that come October, these evening services will continue to happen on YouTube, but they will be live streamed um, and that there will be a congregation that meets in the building at the same time at 6.30 each Sunday, but we'll keep you posted as to how plans are coming on there. We're going to begin our service by reading some verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you are following along with our church daily Bible reading plan, these were verses that we read just yesterday. And they speak of how God brings us immeasurable comfort and compassion in the midst of troubles that come our way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. The great news is that comfort and compassion is what is granted as a steady stream from God's hand in the midst of troubles and difficulties that we face. And recognising God's comfort and his compassion, we're going to turn to him in prayer as we begin. Our Father in heaven, we want to praise and thank you that you are indeed the God full of compassion and comfort for your people. Thank you that you express that so clearly in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus, how we love him, how we want to grow more like him, how we pray that you would encourage us as we see of him in the scriptures this evening. Please teach us to honour him in all that we do. And might you, through your word as it is preached and read, might you bring us great comfort as your people. Father, please strengthen us in our faith in the Lord Jesus and these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we read uh, the next bit of 1 Samuel, we are going to spend a moment singing, singing of how the Lord Jesus is our King, a gentle Saviour, a closest friend. Um, you are welcome to sing along as the words and music play, um, or if you'd rather sit and think about all that's talked about in this song, you can do that too. <laughs> I can't believe I lay 
going to have our Bible reading which comes from 1 Samuel chapter 16 and Baz is going to bring this reading for us. This evening's reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and had to impasse in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah 
passed by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen this one. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is sending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and brought him in. He was glowing with health and a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the liar. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the liar. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them to his son David to Saul. Saul came to sorry, David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armour bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit of God came on Saul, David would take up his light and play. Then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Praise be the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray and ask God's help as we look at this part of the Bible together. Father in heaven, please would you, through the written words and the spoken words, might you make known your living word, the Lord Jesus, to us. And might we there find great comfort and help in the midst of any trouble we might be in the midst of today. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. There's a delightful verse in Matthew's Gospel that describes the Lord Jesus as he surveys a crowd of people. This is what the verse says. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. And I think this verse is an excellent summary of what life is like for people who 
are far from God and without God's king to reign over them and to care for them. As such, it is a great summary of the people, God's people, as we find them in 1 Samuel. Last week, we saw Saul had been rejected by God as their king, and while he might still be wearing the crown, he isn't, he's king in title only. He's not truly king. God's people, at the end of chapter 15, are back where we found them at the beginning. They're like a sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. And as, if we were to skim through 1 Samuel, we would find different expressions of this troubled state that God's people are in their midst of. We'd find family breakdown as Hannah and Peninnah fall out in chapters 1 and 2. We'd find Hannah heartbroken without children. We'd find God's people ignorant of God's voice, as we're told in the days of Samuel that the voice of the Lord was rare. We'd find wicked and abusive leaders who harm the people under their care in the form of Eli's sons. We see powerful nations assaulting and damaging God's people, Israel. And we find individuals and a nation as a whole riddled with sin. Israel are deeply troubled. They are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And for many of us, it can feel much the same for us today, can't it? Life can feel like we're deeply troubled. In many different forms, we might sense that we are physically troubled. Maybe sickness and frailty is all too close to us or to someone we love. Maybe we are troubled emotionally. We feel frail and vulnerable. Now, for some of us, that has been particularly emphasised by all the change that lockdown has brought and all the restrictions it's placed upon us. Maybe we are uh, troubled relationally, but family breakdown is just all too common an experience for us. Friendships may have been fractured. Or maybe we're troubled spiritually, all too aware of our own sinful failings and faults. In your trouble, how does the Lord Jesus look on you today? He looks on you with kindness and compassion. And as we come to 1 Samuel chapter 16, he is in effect saying to you, let me show you a picture of me in the Old Testament. It is what you need to see. And I think it will encourage you to call out to me that I might give you rest in the midst of your trouble. I think that's what Jesus has to say to us today. The portrait of Jesus is found in David the greatest of the kings in the Old Testament. And we will see in David, God's king for his troubled people. We're going to look at this passage under two headings, the first of which is this. For all your troubles, God has given you his king. For all your troubles, God has given you his king. And this is verses 1 to 13. As we return to 1 Samuel chapter 16, we find Samuel, the priest of God's people, heartbroken. He is deep in mourning, in mourning for Saul, who's been rejected by God as king. He's in mourning for God's people, sensing all of the ramifications that it will bring to them, that they no longer have a king who reigns over them. But it would seem that God wants to draw a line under Samuel's sadness. And he says to him, enough. 
Because God is going to do something for his people. If you've never looked in a Bible, can I encourage you to look with me down to verse 1, the, the verses there indicated by the little numbers, the chapters there indicated by the big numbers. So next to big number 16, halfway through, the Lord says this to Samuel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel is understandably afraid of how a mission like this might be perceived by Saul. If he's just been told that he's been rejected by God as king, to then find Samuel heading out with a horn of oil to anoint a new king is likely to arouse Saul's anger. And so God gives Samuel cover by saying, take a cow with you as a sacrifice and go to Bethlehem and call everyone to a sacrifice and there I'll show you what to do. Having arrived in Bethlehem, not only is Samuel nervous, but also the leaders are nervous as to why Samuel has turned up. And having calmed the fears of the leaders, he then heads his way to Jesse's house, having instructed the leaders to consecrate themselves, to get ready to meet God. Now, to this point, Samuel who through the whole of 1 Samuel to this point seems to have known lots of what God is intending, Samuel at this point is seemingly flying blind. He, he knows he's to anoint one of Jesse's sons to become king, but he has no idea who. God had said back in verse 3, look down to little number 3, invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you're to do. You're to anoint for me the one I indicate. And so as Jesse's sons start getting paraded before Samuel, Samuel's antennae are up and he is trying to work out which of the sons the Lord might have chosen to be his king. Eliab walks past first, he's the oldest and it would seem the tallest. And Samuel thinks, well, he looks a bit like Saul, maybe this is the one, but we're told God hasn't chosen him. And then in a scene that becomes more and more farcical, so it seems, each of Jesse's sons is paraded past Samuel and each of them is turned down. Aminadab, nope. Shammah, nope. Sons four, five, six and seven, nope, 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 nope. All of which leaves Samuel fearing that he might well have gone to the wrong Jesse's house in Bethlehem. Is there another Jesse? But before he can ask that question, he asks the obvious question to Jesse. Any more sons? Anyone else? Look down to verse 11. So Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. This son, who is the youngest, literally he's referred to as the smallest, can't, surely can't be of interest to the Lord. That's the conclusion that Jesse has reached. That's why he's put him out tending the sheep in a field far away. He's obviously thought, well, this guy could never be king. He's too small. We'll leave him carrying the sheep. He'll be out of the way then. He'll, speed He'll only slow things down if he's here. But Jesse hasn't got a clue. And so Samuel says, send for him. 
We will not sit down for the feast until he arrives. And so you can imagine everyone's kicking their heels for several minutes, maybe even for an hour or two, as they wait for the smallest son to be found and brought to the sacrifice. And yet no sooner than the smallest son arrives, Samuel takes action. Did you see down in verse 12? So he sent for him, and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Here's a meteoric moment in the history of Israel, in this smallest son's history too. But it's not until he's anointed that we find out his name. Until then, it's silent. It's just talking about a small one, uh, an insignificant one. And then once anointed, we are told his name is David. It will come to be one of the most famous names in the Old Testament. And here in David, we find the king that God has chosen to give to his people in all of their troubles. Here is the king that God has chosen to give to his people in the midst of all of their troubles. Three things we should note about David that ultimately teach us about the Lord Jesus who brings us hope in our troubles. They are these. First up, God's choice of king confounds our expectations. No one, no one had picked David to be their king. Samuel expected the crown to go to another. Jesse had dismissed David to look after the sheep, thinking his presence a waste of time. And they could not have been more wrong. All along, David was God's pick. He was the king that God's God's troubled people needed. But they would have never picked it for themselves. Samuel and Jesse are good representative of what God's people thought they needed. And that's seen all the more clearly if we wind the tape back to the pick of Saul, whose name literally means the asked for, the one God's people asked for, they picked a king who would end up being a dud because they didn't know what they needed. In their troubles, they thought they needed a king like all the other nations. How wrong they were. This notion of thinking that uh, we know what we need when we're in trouble is not dead, is it? It's alive and kicking today. But God's choice of David, which confounds our expectations, reminds us that the God of heaven really is the one who knows what we need. God is the best spiritual doctor there is, and he not only diagnoses our problems accurately, but prescribes the best solution. And the challenge for us is, will we take the medicine? And as David had confounded expectation in his day, so the Lord Jesus all the more confounds expectation as he walks around. He's described like this in Isaiah 53. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. That Jesus would be exalted to be God's king, king of kings, confounds the expectations of the people of his day. Who would have thought that what God's troubled people needed was some untrained rabbi from a northern backwater without a penny to his name who 
while adored for a while, was eventually rejected and died in weakness and shame. But this king, who confounds expectations, is what you and I need. How good God is to provide exactly what we need in Jesus, his king. And that Jesus and David are the right choice, even though they confound our expectations. Well, that's just made abundantly more clear as we now see that God's choice of king is concerned with the heart. So first we've seen God's choice of king confounds expectations. Secondly, God's choice of king is concerned with the heart. Uh, If you wind the clock back to the 17th of March, 2012, the importance of a healthy heart is all too clear. Because on the 17th of March 2012, a game of football was played in the FA Cup between Tottenham Hotspur and Bolton Wanderers. And partway through the game, a man who looked like the epitome of health on the outside keeled over and his heart stopped. His name was Fabrice Mwamba. You see, however good he looked on the outside, his heart had given up. And he collapsed. His heart stopped for 78 minutes, during which he was rushed to hospital and wonderfully saved as his heart was restarted and then started functioning on its own a couple of days later. For a sportsman like Fabrice Moemba, what really matters is the health of his heart. How much more the health of the heart of the king of God's people? It really is what matters. And so God's choice of king is concerned above all with the heart. Have a look to verse 7. We skipped over it as we worked through the story before, where God explains to Samuel the area of greatest concern when it comes to picking a king. He's he's explaining why Eliab is not going to be king, this tall son. Verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's pretty clear, isn't it? God's choice of king is concerned above all with his heart. There was something significantly different about David, for when he appears, he's picked. He was a man after God's own heart. But this difference in David's heart, we shouldn't think arises from David's action or his character alone. Instead, ultimately, the difference in David arose from God's sovereign choosing of him. One writer has summed it up like this. A man after God's own heart is talking about the place the man has in God's heart rather than the place that God has in the man's heart. It's about God choosing David, made David's heart so strong and good. And the reason that we know this is true is if we wind the clock on later into David's life when he blows it big time with Bathsheba and Uriah, as he commits adultery and murder, God doesn't then cast him off when it turns out his heart isn't quite good enough. No, no. David's status depends on God's choosing, so God sustains him even through his failures. A choice that springs from God's heart 
is what establishes David as king and establishes his heart to be good and godly and to beat in time with God's. And this heart of David being substantially different, made by God's choosing him, is there for all to see. In the chapters that come, as he bears up under the unjust pain of suffering at Saul's hands, as he refuses to take Saul's life when it seemingly falls into his lap to kill him, David's heart is different. What do troubled people need? They need a king after God's own heart. No wonder God's choice of king is concerned with his heart. And what is true of David's heart is fundamentally more true of Jesus' heart. His heart beats in time with the heart of his father. There's one verse in in the Gospels where Jesus himself specifically refers to his heart. This is what he says in Matthew 11. Come to me, All you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. What is the Lord Jesus' heart like? His heart is gentle. His heart is humble. He is the perfect king for troubled people. If you today are all too aware of your troubles, then come to Jesus, God's King, because he will gently and humbly care for you. There's little more that you want in a king. He won't cast you off roughly. He won't deal with you harshly. Instead, he will draw alongside you in gentleness and humility to care for you in the midst of your troubles. What a great king he is. So far, we've seen God's choice of king confounds expectations, is concerned with his heart, and finally, we see God's choice of king is confirmed by his spirit. Look down to verse 13. There we read this. The moment David is anointed as king. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. What happens? The moment David is anointed, God's spirit comes powerfully upon David. In this, he's like Samson. You remember Samson in the book of Judges, who before his heroic exploits would have God's spirit descend upon him? He's like Saul, who before his heroic exploits against Nahash and his times when he prophesied, God's spirit came on him. But unlike them, where God's Spirit came on them for a little while, God's Spirit comes on David in a fundamentally different way. Did you see those words in verse 13 when it says, from that day on? The Spirit comes on David in permanence. It's not leaving. It's staying with him. And it would appear that for the rest of David's life, God's Spirit rested on him. His spirit authenticates David as God's king, rubber stamping him as the real deal. And God's spirit empowers David to serve as his king. Meaning that David doesn't simply serve in his strength, but in God's strength. If only troubled Israel could see in this moment what was going on in Bethlehem, that the spirit was coming on David. 
how their troubles would then be put in perspective. What a great king he will turn out to be, how good God's people will find it under him. What else do they need? And again, what is true of David is abundantly true of the Lord Jesus, who after he is baptised, has the Spirit descend on him. The Spirit who authenticates Jesus as God's King and empowers Jesus for service as God's King. And note these two things that play out in stereo, these things of the fact that the Lord Jesus is empowered by God's Spirit, but then his heart is humble and gentle. These are beautiful things that are married together in the Lord Jesus. As Jesus is empowered by God's mighty spirit, that means he has power to help us with the greatest of our troubles. But as we see the Lord Jesus with a gentle and humble heart, we realise that this power is exercised with massive tenderness, meaning that Jesus is the greatest king we could have to minister to us in our troubles. What more could troubled people need than this king? In all your troubles, God has given you his king, and his king's name is the Lord Jesus. But that leaves us with the question, well, what do I do in the midst of my trouble? How do I avail myself of this help that Jesus could give? Well, we simply need to follow Saul's lead. So second heading, second heading, in all your troubles call for God's king. In all your troubles, call for God's king. And this is verses 14 to 23. Written into our passage is a dramatic double movement of God's spirit. As the spirit descends on David, it departs from Saul. Look down to verse 14. Having just said the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David, verse 14 says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now you, like me, will probably balk at the thought that an evil spirit would be sent from the Lord upon Saul. Uh, This word that is translated evil is a very common word in the Old Testament, and it has a reasonable range of meaning. So we're not necessarily to think that this spirit is morally evil, but instead could be better thought of as a harmful spirit. A spirit which is sent by the Lord so that Saul senses deep within him the consequences of his decision to turn his back on God and go his own way. And it is clear that this spirit spells trouble that other people can sense and see. His servants get wind that Saul is not the same man anymore. Something materially has changed in him. And so they suggest that some musical therapy might be the thing that would ease his troubled soul. And it just so happens that one of Saul's servants knows of David, who, so it turns out, is not too shabby with the liar. So they book him to come and see him. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Without knowing it, in the very next verse, Saul sends for David. And without, no, with plenty of irony running through the request, 
God's rejected king calls for the replacement king to come and help him. David enters into Saul's service and Saul is delighted with David. And no wonder when we see the help that he brings. Look at verse 23. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. When troubled and tormented, David brings Saul relief. When assaulted by a spirit, David, on whom God's spirit rests, brings rescue to Saul in a realm that he has no power over, in the realm of the spirit. In this scene, we see David exercising both real gentleness as he comes humbly to the king that he's set to replace and plays his lyre. But also alongside gentleness is his power as he exercises power over a harmful spirit that is doing Saul harm. And in David we find both gentleness and power married together, showing that to Saul, a a snapshot of God's troubled people, that the very solution they need, the very saviour they need, is the king that God has provided in David, who is clothed both in gentleness and in power. And it would seem that the writer of 1 Samuel is trying to highlight this twinning of gentleness and power as highly significant in David by listing this is the very first thing that he does once he's been anointed as king. If you were to look closer, it would seem that the writer of 1 Samuel has switched the chronological order to advance this event, even ahead of the slaying of Goliath, to highlight the importance of a king who is both gentle and powerful and humbly comes to help troubled people. David is the one who brings help to a troubled soul and rest to a restless soul. And in this, David delightfully points us to the Lord Jesus. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we find the Lord Jesus moving towards people who are dramatically troubled with sickness, troubled with demon possession, and Jesus shows both gentleness in drawing alongside them and mighty power to help them in their hour of need. And the same Lord Jesus is not done with bringing help to troubled people. He is not done in bringing rest to restless souls. So how do we avail ourselves of the help that Jesus would bring? We need to follow Saul's lead. In all your troubles, call for God's king. We, like Saul, when he called, send David, we need to pray, come Lord Jesus, come and help me. Anyone with little children will know that children, when they are in trouble, will instinctively cry out for help. Mum, Dad, Granddad, Granny, is the instant cry. And the challenge for us as believers in the Lord Jesus today is to act like children. That in the midst of our trouble, we are quick quick to cry out, Jesus, help me, please. The longer we go on in life, we realise that there 
are some significant things that can make that hard. Let me highlight two. One is just the depth of bitterness in troubles. Adults are able to experience the fuller dimension of troubles that we face. And sometimes they can overwhelm us to the point where we are almost feeling unable to cry out for help. Can I urge you, if you sense that that is you, to cry out for help? Even while it's hard? The second reason why we can be stopped from crying out to help is simply our pride. We want to be able to solve the problem ourselves. But Jesus says, don't be proud. He says, come. You remember those verses we've cited already? Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So whatever trouble you feel that you are in the midst of today, come to King Jesus. Come to him in prayer. Call out for his help. Come to him in the scriptures where he ministers his living word to us. Come to him at the cross where he lays down his life and pays for our sin. Come to him, risen from the tomb, showing that death is no longer victor but a vanquished foe. Come to him, ascended into heaven where he seats in authority and all glory. And in coming to him, you will find rest for your restless soul. You will find help in your troubled heart. And the help that Jesus brings, it won't always deliver us from our troubles. It will very often bring us deliverance in our troubles to help us bear with them. So believers this evening, if you sense your trouble, come to Jesus. Believers, this evening, if there's someone you know who you think is just overwhelmed with their trouble, maybe you need to come and take them by the hand and help them call out to Jesus for help. And you need to pray for them too. And maybe you're tuning in this evening as someone who wouldn't call themselves a Christian. I'm so pleased you're here. The Lord Jesus says to you, whether you've called on his name ever before or not, come, come to me. And he promises to give you rest. Life will, the longer we go through, throw more and more things that we are not fit to cope with. But in these troubles, God has sent us his king. And this king, Jesus, would say to you, call out to me. Last week in 1 Samuel, we saw God's people left without a leader. This week, we see God's people with a king installed who is gentle and powerful, whose heart beats like the heart of God. He's a picture. David is a picture of Jesus, remember. David's rise to power in the coming chapters will be far from smooth. And his greatest victory is just around the corner as he slays Goliath. Come back next week to find out what goes on there. And this week as we head through the days, keep calling out to Jesus for help in your troubles. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your simple instruction here to come to you when wearied and burdened. Thank you that you promise to give us rest. Thank you that your heart is gentle and humble and that you will give us rest for our souls. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what we've seen of you in the portrait of David in these chapters. Thank you for the way that he points us to the hope that you bring. And might we know your comfort, your help, and your relief in the days ahead, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you.
Before we close our service, we're going to make some time to pray now. Um, at our church services this morning, we handed out some copies of the GBM Herald. GBM are the Grace Baptist Mission. They're mission organization that we support as a church and in this magazine they mention a couple called um, Andre and Monica um, and we're going to pray for them as they serve the Lord Jesus in Poland in Leganovo. So let's bow our heads and pray for them and then we'll pray for some other individuals here at the church. Father we thank you that the good news of our Lord Jesus is ringing out around the world today. Thank you for the believers in the Lord Jesus that attend the church that Andre and Monica attend in Leganovo. Thank you so much for this church being planted back in 2009 and people who know and love the Lord Jesus there. Father, thank you for sustaining this little church through the difficulties of the lockdown. Uh, we thank you for helping them as they moved services online to keep going and to keep encouraging one another. We thank you that their services have been able to return to more normal patterns since May and that in June they had the great delight of baptising a man called Camille. Thank you so much for saving Camille to faith in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the encouragement that his baptism was to the church family there. And we ask our Father that you would continue to strengthen Camille and call many others to come to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus through the witness of this local church. Father, we pray too for um, the churches in Poland that have experienced quite a bit of division and disunity surrounding the whole issue with the coronavirus, with some churches wanting to defy the authorities and lambasting other churches that have followed the advice of the government. We ask our Father, please, that you would um, bring a greater sense of unity and loving concern between the churches there in Poland. Pray you'd help Andre as he pastors this church, that you'd enable him to foster greater unity inside and outside his church. And please, our Father, would you continue to strengthen the church in Poland as they seek to live for the Lord Jesus. And we pray particularly for this church in Leganovo, that you would strengthen and grow it in its likeness to Jesus. Father, as we've thought this evening about how the Lord Jesus brings help to troubled people. We do want to pray for our church family, recognising that in our church there are people who are gravely struggling with different forms of difficulty. We particularly want to pray for those struggling with ill health at the moment. We pray very much for Tinica, how we love her and thank you for her, and pray that in her frailty and weakness, having had a, a week when she's been quite poorly, we pray, our Father, that you would continue to help her uh, call out to the Lord Jesus and know his strength and help. Help her daughters, Caroline and Susan, as they care for her. Please would you strengthen and help them, we pray. Father, we pray too for Val and for Angela, who are both awaiting operations on their hips in quite a lot of pain. Father, please would you help them bear with the frustration of these operations being delayed because of the lockdown, would you minimise their pain and discomfort? And would you help them in the midst of their trouble know Jesus bring them rest and help? We commit them into your hands. And Father, we take just a moment of silence just to commit to you any others who are particularly in need of our prayers.
Father, thank you that you're fully aware of all the people that we've mentioned. We commit them into your hands. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we conclude our service, just a few notices to draw to your attention. The first is to say that there is a playlist of songs featured on our YouTube channel um, that go alongside what we've looked at this evening would be a fitting way for you to think on and respond to all the things that we've learnt. would encourage you to make use of that. Then on to the week ahead, um, please do note that on Thursdays, both during the daytime and in the evening, we have our home groups as we continue to look at the book of Philemon, uh, which we're working through in our morning services at the moment. Please do make it a priority to get along there if you're part of a home group. And if you're not, um, please do just drop me an email um, and we'd love to accommodate you in one of our small groups if we are able to. Then on to next Sunday, um, we have services again, both in the morning and the evening. Our morning services are at 9.15 and 11.15. These services are happening here in the building. If you'd like to come and join us, we'd love to have you there, but we really need you to let us know that you're intending on coming. So if you've not yet filled out the survey form indicating that you're gonna come, please do either send me an email or complete the response form that you'll find on our church website. We'd love to welcome you, but just letting us know that you're gonna come helps us plan appropriately to accommodate as many people as we can. And please note that um, the 11.15 service next Sunday is live streamed on our YouTube channel. So if you're unable to come at the moment to the building for our services, please do join us online as we look forward to that service at 11.15. Then 6.30 next Sunday is our next evening service. Uh, we look forward very much then to continue as we work through our series in 1 Samuel. And we'd love to see you then too. Well, we're going to finish our service with the same verses from 2 Corinthians that we began, and we'll close in prayer. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Father, thank you for the comfort that you've brought us even this evening of reminding us that you have installed your King and that we're to call on him. Might we, from the comfort that Jesus brings, be able to be people who comfort others and care for them. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.